opening up the door and allowing somebody else to participate in my firm has given me a way to participate in the business side of it differently. Business of Architecture, episode 193. Hello, I'm Enoch Sears, and this is the podcast for architects, where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. I'd like to invite you to discover how to double your architecture firm income and create your dream practice of freedom and impact by downloading my free four-part architecture firm profit map. As a podcast listener, you can get instant access by going to freearchitectgift.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage partner BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. It helps you manage people and projects while you focus on designing great architecture. So whether you're working remotely or on-site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in an accurate and timely manner. Get your fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice by going to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. Today is the second half of my interview with Josh Bloomer, AIA. He's a principal at AB Design Studio based out of Santa Barbara, California. So without further ado, here's today's show. Josh Bloomer, I want to welcome you back to the business of architecture. Great. So you you in our last episode, we talked about the fact that you are, you know, you guys have been in business as a firm for about 11 years, mm-hmm. relatively young firm, uh, gone through some growth over that time period, learned some lessons. And you've talked about how you and your partner have uh, found uh, that delegating and dividing up the responsibilities really helped you to get to that point where you then could develop and grow the firm more. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. You talked about bringing in Al Harris. Uh, to to be the director of operations. And I wanted to ask you about that because that's very interesting. A lot of architects I talk to, they like being architects. They don't really want to run the business. You know, they want to right. be the architects. So is Al, is he someone with an architectural background or is he someone with strictly a business background in other industries? Tell me about his skill set. Yeah, Al has a, a business background. He, he's, he comes from a core of being in, a, in an accounting role um, and he's had experience doing um, he, he actually also has a, a pretty good foot in the world of doing shipping containers um, shipping container uh, brokering and customization um, I came to know him or Clay and I came to know him rather through uh, our explorations anybody that looks at our work knows that we like to uh, mess around with shipping containers as a base building block group building from one of them right now, or from us, uh, about four, four, 40 foot shipping containers. Right now, uh, we've got a couple projects that we've done with shipping containers. Um, we started exploring that from a, an investigation is how much do you need to live? You know, that was the con- kind of the question. Can we, can you, you know, mm-hmm. less is more kind of conversation and, and it just evolved, but we met Al along the way doing that and realized we had a lot of shared pathways that we were on, and um, he, he's very interested in what we're doing as a business, and, and we're very interested in what he's, he offers and what he's been able to provide. So that you know, the, the the bottom line is that you know, I don't know that architects do or don't want to be good businessmen. You know, I mean, I think we say things like, uh, you know, I, I want to do the architecture, I don't want to do the business. I, I think really the truth, at least for me, is that we're not like. It's hard doing the business. 
because it's it's hard to focus in both directions. They don't always agree with each other. I, my training and development and background is in being an architect. You know, my my architecture license comes with responsibility that that I'm interested in. Um, running a business is 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 a separate. Part of, it's a different part of my brain that I have to use. To, it's a different focus and it has a different prioritization. Um, you know, I never forget that I'm a licensed architect and that's my number one role in my profession is to uphold the uh, integrity of that. You know, uh, I'm a member of the AIA. You know, I have an allegiance to my fellow architects. Um, I, I have a vested interest in mentoring and teaching people. Um, and I was mentored and taught and I, I don't want to pass that on. I'm, I'm interested in design. I got into architecture because I'm essentially a creative person that likes to make things, um, and I enjoy math and science and those things that go with it. Um, it's <clears throat> business is, you know, it's its own science, and you know, running a company and being good in business, uh, you know, is certainly there's no architect that can't figure that out. It's just that we um, have to wrestle with that the way we have to wrestle with that as architects. It just, you know, it, it, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know, it's hard to talk about because there's so many uh, words that get put to that every year. And, and I don't know if <laughs> any of them are really accurate. You know, I think we're, there's like a wrestling match always being discussed about what it is to do business and be an architect. All I know is that for me, Opening up the door and allowing somebody else to participate in my firm has given me a way to participate in the business side of it differently. And Al's kind of given me confidence. Uh, and so, you know, look, we spent a lot of time together uh, helping each other to the table. And I, I think it's more like the conversation got expanded and, you know, and more good things have showed up because of that, because it's a bigger conversation and there's more possible. What have been that. some of the positive things that you've seen come in from having someone like Al in the firm? Well, I think fundamentally when Al came into the firm, he really started to poke around about how do you guys get things done? What's the process? You know, And so we've had to take things that we do well and just define them. Um, what he's been trying to do on an operational uh, level is make – these things tangible so that fundamentally I don't have to be there to explain why we're doing something or how we're doing something in the process. So tell me what that process looks like. What, what, what was the result of that conversation? What are some of the things you, you guys are doing well? Well, look, I'll give you a process. This would probably be familiar to anybody that's had, had a firm. You know, there's, there's this process of going out and finding um, work, you know, and you're in a solicitation mode and you're meeting clients new clients or, or reconnecting re, uh, with existing clients on, on new projects and new opportunities. A lot gets invested in that process. A lot of information gets built up. Um, and usually in a firm of our size, one or two people are doing that. So in our firm, Clay spends a lot of time in that area and he's really de defining the vision of a project and he's assembling the data and organizing the client and the firm around uh, what what's possible, um, and then there's a point where <clears throat> the contract is signed, and the proposal phase is over, and it needs to the, the project needs to find its way into the studio, and, and, and you know inevitably another person, a project manager, and, and a team have to pick it up from there and move it to the next step, which is 
a big shift in energy. It's a big changing of the gear uh, that, that, that's in place there, and there's a big transfer of information, uh, and it causes a lot of breakdowns. Like, you know, you, you could spend months really cultivating uh, a positive relationship with a client and have expectations be, built into that, and then in the process of transitioning that into the studio to get the work done, any of that gets degraded, uh, you're going to have phone calls from your client. You know, I thought it was going to go this way. I thought it was going to go that way. How come, you know, you told me it would be uh, two months. Why is it now three months or whatever? I mean, you know, um, what we've seen is that if we focus on a better transition and, and create some predict, like one of the things that I used to complain about and I hear it all the time from architecture studios is that, you know, that work just keeps flying in from all directions, you know, and they, you finish one project and you turn around and someone's handing you another and it, it can be, um, you know, it can be kind of an assault on a studio if that's not being managed carefully, you know. Part of what Eric's been doing as the, as the director of the studio is working really hard with Al Harris and, and, and us to, to make sure that our project startup process is as excellent as we can make it. Um, and, it, you know, it brings a lot of focus to it. Well, how do you do that? You know, everybody's got a method or an idea of it, but like, how do you agree to a process that everybody can play with and, and succeed with? And, and, and the first part of doing that is defining it. Um, and, you know, and that's where you literally find yourself in a room talking to your operation person. They're saying, well, okay, what's step one? And then what's step two? And if, if step two is not step two, then what is it? And if, if, this, if X happens, go this way. And if you know, Y happens, go that way. And then follow those processes. And it's, 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 it can be kind of um, tough because you, you think you know something and then you sit down and you try and really explain it. Like you think you're being clear with your staff or you think you're being clear with your clients. And you start to see where, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe there's some things we could fix, uh, fix here. Maybe there's some things I think I know that I don't know. Maybe there's some magic here that's not so magical after all. Um, and... and you know, it's a, it's a fundamentally just an examination. It's a lot of looking into the mirror and trying to understand what it is you've been talking about and put it into something tangible that other people can work with. Um, but I think it's necessary. And, you know, it, you know we've, we've seen it actually make a difference in our work. And I think it's starting to creep into other areas. I, I, I'm... Like I said, personally, one of the things I'm interested in is design workflow. So I'm looking at it there, too. Like, it's actually giving me new tools and new ways to address, like, okay, what is a design workflow? Like, can you chart it? Can you make it um, something repeatable? Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm not looking to homogenize our work or, or make it predictable necessarily, but I, I am trying to put handholds out there for people so they can really go into it aggressively and focus more on the big idea and the discourse of it as opposed to um, muddling with, uh, you know, trying to find the basic pathway, you know, that, that there's a basic, basic guideline there that, so, you know, I've been, and that's had, had me this year spend a lot of time in a kind of a policies and procedures pursuit where I'm looking at uh, like a phase checklist, like defining, you know, what are the normal checklists that you need to follow a phase and make sure you do everything that you should do in schematic design and DD and those transitions. And I'm looking at what do we do that's unique to us that needs to be there for people to understand the AB way we call or AB Design Studios kind of brand. 
or methodology. And you know, we're also looking at drawing content checklists and um, looking at um, looking a lot at the contracts. We've been using the AIA's contracts almost exclusively and really revisiting those and really defining what does this obligate us to, what are we doing and not doing, um, all of it. Um, it. It's kind of a background integrity to to the kind of the hustle, bustle, and craziness of an architecture studio. Right? Yeah. How, like how do you guys keep track of the checklist just <laughs> technically? What what format are they in? How do you keep them accessible and, and make sure they're yeah. used? That's a good question because in the past, and we've had a lot of discussion on this, and I think we've kind of come to a realization of how we want to do it. I think in the past, and what, what I experienced coming into it, an architecture office was when I was younger, <laughs> there was a binder on the, on the shelf it was kind of dusty and didn't look like anybody looked at it in a long time. You know, I, I, it, it, it was there and you could reference it, but it kind of seemed to always be out of date. And, um, and I, I think that's a problem for a lot of offices. Um, and so you have these efforts to, to increase the um, kind of policies and procedures and drawing standards in a firm and then, and then they kind of wane and then the focus comes off, you know, and, and what we've been looking at is how to create that in a more dynamic environment, you know, and what we're seeing is that, you know, conversations for standards and integrity, you know, if they may, if you can maintain them as a conversation and not have them be reference material, um, they have more impact. So how do you create a conversation today? Well, you probably use your computer and it probably has something to do with texting and chatting and, you know, um, creating an interface where the dialogue can occur and it can be um, you know, visited easily and, and added to and, and commented on. So we're creating an inner office type uh, of web platform that basically is a knowledge center and we're using it uh, as, a, as a kind of a hub for the discussion. Um, and it will have referential documentation into it, but we're trying to create it, I think, more as a conversation that we can keep updating currently without, you know, it being such a momentous um, task of creating a, a reference library, so to speak. And are these, are these papers, are they Word documents that are kept on a server somewhere, just in terms of the technology, what are you guys using? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it's a, it's a searchable um, database, uh, like a knowledge center, so, you know, it, it could be I think printed off into PDF format and reference to external references outside of our network, you know, or into, into the internet and so forth. And um, you know, there's there's a couple of software platforms available out there that tie together functions of email and texting. And you know, it's a big it's a big issue in our business because you know we used to have a tremendous amount of control about how information was passed, and we're now in an era where <laughs> there's just a dizzying amount of platforms to communicate with, but at the same time, the architect's got to manage all that. So part of, part of what we're looking at is how to, how to complement that process and need from a project management standpoint, you know, the, the way information gets transferred, but also looking at how do we, how do we incorporate that into a knowledge-based environment where, um, you know, I mean, certainly, look, there's nothing wrong with sitting down with a senior architect and having a lesson on how to do a cartoon set or, or what schematic design and VDR and how they differ. But um, there's also putting tools right in front of people that they can, can, they, can, they can actually engage it directly from their desk and, you know, have a good reference. Uh, I just, 
we just feel like the reference library on the shelf is really with the generation of kids that we've got coming in our office this is not it's not adequate to what what their expectations are they need to be able to search it on the web they need to see it you know in the software they're using um, and look and to be to be clear like we're, we're kind of in the we're still in the formulation of this we've got some of this we've, we've compiled a lot of the information and it's all word documents and pdfs and white papers that we've written and this and that um, the next step is going to be creating a adequate interface that kind of hits the, hits this where i'm talking about it and i i couldn't really you know it would be disingenuous to say we got it figured out we don't this is another exploration <laughs> well you have you have some things figured out i mean what do you have yeah. figured out josh well we've got uh at least for that uh we've got you know, I think we've got the right people to do it. I, I feel like, again, going back to having Al here, you know, we've got somebody that understands how to how to organize that, and 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 fundamentally, um, nobody's really counting on Clay and I to do it, which is good, <laughs> because I, I think firm owners tend to tend to take on too much, and if things get stuck with us too much. It doesn't get done. So I think we've got you know between Eric and uh, some other folks in our firm and and Al. Um, we've provided a proper vision and given a lot of thought to a direction and we've got the right people to, to, to execute it and they seem excited and motivated to do it. So, you know, we're off. Yeah. Something that I'm hearing uh, repeatedly during throughout our conversation here, uh, Josh, is the mention of people. And mm -hmm. I'd like to ask you, what is your hiring process? How do you guys build a team? What have you learned about hiring and attracting and keeping the right people? Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny, um, you know, again, another area that we could have focused on to talk about uh, this operational aspect of our firm that we're, we're enhancing. You know, we've, we've definitely looked at uh, how do you recruit, how do you hire, how do you onboard people. Um, one of the areas where I think we've, all architecture, our, our, our architecture firms are challenged is the onboarding process. And again, it's like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, project startup. You know, you've, there's there's initial expectations and there's an onboarding process and learning how to gauge what the realistic equity, like how how long does it take somebody to acquire a studio? Um, you know, a, a first second year person coming out of college, you know, they have a different uh, potential uh, potentiality. You know, their 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 opportunities different than like a person with 10, 15 years experience coming in the door. You know, those transitions go differently. Um, I notice that it takes. I mean, my current re reference to this is it takes about three to six months for uh, an architect who's got experience to get it him or herself firmly planted into a firm and really understand it and kind of learn how to inter mesh themselves with it. Well, sometimes longer. Um, and it depends on how the, the style of the firm is. You know, we, we have a, a, a fairly soupy process in our studio. You know, we don't, uh, you know, uh, kind of silo people up on stuff. I mean, uh, we've got a, a pretty open dialogue and an open floor plan, and, and, and we're, we're pretty dynamic. So, um, you know, we try to keep our project managers focused on their projects, but the rest of the staff really has the opportunity to move around a bit to different projects. So um, that has an impact on how that onboarding process goes because it can it can be uh, a lot. To, like when you're new in our firm, there's a lot to, to deal with early on. <laughs> um, 
I think in terms of a hiring process, you know, um, what we're looking for, you know, uh, you know, again, another area where technology has kind of outpaced the profession, you know, um, uh, LinkedIn, you know, uh, there's, there's all web-based platforms, all these different uh, ways that people can get their resume into our inbox. Um, I think, you know, and I don't think this is new, but it's, it's still the problem, you know, emails come into us, you know, that seems to be the main way that people introduce themselves to us nowadays. I, I, I think if you're looking for a job in an architecture firm, uh, go ahead and do that. But if you really look, if you want to get, and, and, and this hasn't changed in 20 years <laughs> since I, I heard this when I was younger, pick a couple firms that you want to work for, research them, go find out about them before you actually, and then put a concerted effort in getting in the door and, and get the interview. Um, and how do you do that? Well, you know, be persistent and, and do what it takes to get the interview. But I think if all you do is just send an email with your resume in it, you've really shorthanded yourself. I think, I think it's worth packaging up something and putting it in an envelope and sending it to people. I, I, I think walking in the door and handing somebody a folder and saying, I'd like an interview, I want to work here. I mean, I, I pretty much have a policy that if somebody walks in here and, sh and shakes our hand and says, I'd like to interview for a job, I, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, it's it, become so rare. <laughs> and, and, and I can actually see that you know, as, as, as a proactive step. Um, you know, and, and don't be afraid to be persistent either because, you know, when I'm, as an, as an architect firm owner, I've got to send my staff to the city or the county or other jurisdictional agencies to compel them to move our projects forward. So when somebody's polite and persistent with me, I'm thinking, wow, that's the kind of person I want advocating for my clients. I need, I like that polite persistence. I like somebody that... Can take won't take no for an answer, but still shows up in a pleasant way, and, and can keep pushing for yep. their particular agenda. And I I, I don't I don't th I think there's there's kind of these mixed messages. I think it's okay to be bold um, if you're bold, um, but but make sure you get noticed. If you're not if you're not a bold person and you're a bit shy, then then uh, package yourself up well. Put 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 multiple uh, efforts together. Don't just send the email. You know don't. Don't you know? Don't don't forget that you can walk in the door somewhere. Don't forget that you can make a phone call. Don't forget that you can send a package. Those things work, and and they get people's attention, and it puts your resume on the top of the stack. I think you know, like after that, like you asked about retention, and like I mean, it's tough uh, when you're growing a firm and growing yourself as a business person, as an architect. Um, it doesn't always create the um, <laughs> the most conducive environment for, for everything to work out the way everybody wants it to. So, you know, we've paid our dues. I, you know, I, I, I can't say that we've always been everybody's favorite boss for the last 11 years. Um, I've had some relationships go really well with employees. Uh, I've had some relationships that didn't go so well. Um, it's, it, you know, it, when you're a firm owner, uh, it's one of the things that you have to confront. There's things about us that work, and there's things about us that definitely don't work. And if you want to find out all the things about you that don't work, go start yourself an architecture firm and hire 20 people, and they'll come to work <laughs> and they'll show you how much you don't work. And, and I think you have to you have to deal with that. Um, and everybody has their own way of dealing with it. Um, 
I've, I, I've, for one, I've had to break myself up and rebuild myself many times, and I still think I've got a lot to do in that area. It's, it's hard because mm-hmm. you know it's, a lot of it's pointed at the firm owners. Um, uh, we, you know, we try, we try new things. We, we do, you know, every year to, to, uh, I, I think, create a stable environment where, um, you know, there's some predictability to, to the space, but at the same time, we're always doing things that, that upend that. So, you know, our, our architecture kind of tends to push aggressively at some boundaries. So, you know, we're not, we haven't created the stable environment either. You know, it's exciting and we're, we're forward thinking and we're doing a lot and just, you know, there's a messes that get made and yep. you clean them up and you keep moving. In, 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 in regards to finding the right people, it sounds like you guys are getting inbound inquiries. Is that where your people are coming from? Yeah, I mean, typically people look at our, I, I think, you know, uh, people look at the work that we do and they say, you know, oh, I like the work you do. I want to, I want to be a part of that. Um, um, I mean, frankly, there's not our, – our home base is in Santa Barbara. We obviously have an, we have an office in L.A., and Clay and I have done a lot of work up in the Bay Area, and we may be opening up an office there at some point soon. The, um, you know, there's no architecture school here in Santa Barbara. And we've got Cal Poly to the north, so, and we're not ringed by architecture schools. So, you know, there's not a, uh, what I would say, a thriving population of people coming out of Santa Barbara as new architects. Um, there's a lot of people coming to Santa Barbara as, as architects. So, you know, it's an interesting mix. We have people coming from elsewhere. So I don't know. I think sometimes there's people who actually like the idea of living in Southern California. Oh, well, especially Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah, sure. So what, what and, have and, you guys done? Have you done anything intentional, Josh, to attract the kind of people who you want to have working at the firm? Um. I think, you know, one of the things that we've done intentionally is relied on existing employees and asked them to fan out into their own networks. Um, you know, some of our best hires and our, our, our best people have been a byproduct of, of those type of relationships. I mean, Clay and I certainly became friends working in a firm. Um, and when we worked in an, another firm together uh, before starting our firm, we uh, we hired we had, we influenced the hiring process by doing that, and we we got a lot of out, a lot out of it. Um, at one point, I remember working in a studio like in the mid '90s. I had Clay in there with me and a friend of mine that I graduated uh, architecture school from Colorado with. Um, it was you know actually somebody who was near and dear to me, a best friend really. And we had uh, Clay had brought in a, a draftsman that he worked in in a previous firm that became quick friends, and we had. Um, you know, and we and there was a couple of other p- folks that came through there, and it was just it was it was this pleasurable place to go to work. You know, we were friends, and we had this camaraderie, and it kind of it, it kind of created with the folks that like there was other people in that studio that weren't necessarily didn't have a background of friendship before they worked together, but because of that kind of um, friendship happening in the office, everybody ended up kind of operating inside of a, a more intimate friend friendly manner you know like there was it was kind of a group of people that tended to work together and then we all se- seemed to end up sitting at a bar at the end of the end of the week together or doing stuff together on the weekends and it it was quite familial and we we really got a lot of 
work done in that period uh, and significant work with them. And I, and I think that influenced me. And so um, I think we've, we've kind of sought to create that a bit here. Like uh, Clay, you know, Clay's and my first employee was Clay's wife, who was, uh, in a, she was trained as an interior designer, but also as an architect. Um, I, I commonly joke about her being, as an interior designer, the best architect I've ever worked with, um, which she always laughs about because she, you know, she went to school to be an interior designer, but she was one hell of an architect. Um, you know, but you know that familial, that family type spirit in the background has is, is always been there. My, my wife worked in her firm in an administrative role at one point. Um, we bring in internships from from folks that are, are near and dear to us, and and or we bring them from. God knows where, and they become part of the family. You know, there's there's always been an effort to do that, and um, I, it's just a practice. It's easy to do. And it's just simply just letting your employees know, hey, do you have a college roommate that you remember fondly? Where is that person working now, and are they happy there? Call them. Like, ask them if they want to come hang out with you and do architecture. I mean, for a young person, they, they usually look at you like, really, I can do that? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, and it creates a – a happiness inside of the the work that if it, if you can if you can find it it's, it's it's a good method. I mean, other than that, you know, the usual we're still we're starting to explore it. I think deep more deeply. I, I've actually been interested in what's going on in LinkedIn um, because you know, and 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 the kind of the social media side of of how that uh, that world works and recruiting. I, I've never really. I don't want to disparage anybody, you know, necessarily. I've, I haven't been able to figure out how to work with recruiters in my in our field but I, I know that it, it gets done um, I think you know important thing to do is if, if, you, if you're doing good work put it on the internet and, and present it well I think that, that people search you out and they find you um, I think if you give people a sense of what you're up to on a web page that tends to do that work for you yeah it, that's, it, it that's what you guys are finding now huh it may be the best reason to do a website, really, if, that, if you're looking for recruitment, um, because you know it, it's an open window to see, and, and you get to decide what they see. So it's ahead of time. It's it's. I think it's worth thinking about if, it, if that's that's a problem you're trying to solve. What's your number one business challenge that your company's struggling with right now, Josh? Well, I, I think. Anybody practicing architecture or working in the real estate or construction world in in our in our region, especially Southern California and the Western United States, I'm sure it's it's impacting everyone. But the cost of construction, the cost of doing business, um, is challenging. Um, you know, I I think I, I was sharing with somebody recently. You know, it's an interesting thing. If you're an architect, I mean, most architects are sole practitioners, as we know. Um, and some people work in firms and there's a lot of smaller firms out there. So, you know, like I, I'm not clear exactly what your viewership is, but I assume there's a lot of people who tune in who may have a small firm or medium sized firm or being a sole, being a sole practitioner. Um, if you're building a home for somebody that's a six, seven, eight million dollar home, um, that's a big significant in, uh, expense. Um, that's a lot to be responsible for. Uh, and if something were to not go correctly, um, that's a lot to be responsible for. So I, I think that's challenging. I think that, um, you know, it's one thing to be a large firm and go build a museum. You would expect that you, you go into that knowing that there's um, 
you know, financial considerations and, and insurances needed in it. There's a, there's a kind of a, um, a quantified analysis you can do to that, you know, and you would ex- you know, expect a certain amount of responsibility. But I think more and more we're seeing people this normal, you know, in the normal realm of custom residential work where you're talking about large expenditures. Um, the architects really have to be a part of controlling that expense. You know, uh, if, if a project goes two, three times over budget, um, I guarantee the architect's answerable to that. And it's hard to predict how to, uh, it's difficult to predict and project uh, cost out there in the cost of work. I, I, I think one of the things that I've had to learn and relearn and I'm encouraging other architects to pay attention to is, is pay attention to your client's budget and give yourself some tools. If you can't do it internally, find it externally, but go find out uh, what, what your designs translate to cost when it comes to construction and constructability. Um, we're always dealing with time. I mean, I, any architect would tell you that their probably biggest enemy is time um, and focus. But I think beyond, you know, beyond that reality that I think is, is, is not really worth as much discussion, you know, cost and budget have been typically something that we could take for granted in the past or not be so concerned about. I think nowadays um, it's something that we have to be very concerned about and, and you need adequate tools to, to forecast those things. And I, and I, I think that's, that can be scary and difficult and it may be out of certain people's uh, expertise to be able to project that, but the tools are out there and there's people that can help you with that. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a challenge. Yeah. What uh, you say that the, uh, the cost of construction or the cost to build, was that the, the business, the business challenge that you said? And what specifically about that? Cause you mentioned liability, you mentioned difficulty estimating project cost, um, I'm trying to hone in a little bit narrow, narrower to understand what exactly you, you find challenging about that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I sit on a design review board and we're noticing that there's people presenting projects where, you know, they're actually having to confront, do I tear down the house and build it newly or do I remodel it? You know, when remodels cost more than new construction, um, I, I think that should get your attention. And I, and I think the problem stems from, I mean, Look, I, I don't want to oversimplify this, but one area I see to look at when you're analyzing this, we've brought so much new um, requirement to construction in the residential realm. And, and really, otherwise, uh, it's not limited there, but uh, with energy um, requirements, the uh, California Energy Code particularly, uh, that's, it keeps ramping up and ramping up um, uh, you know, our, our, our structural requirements, flood um, we just have really placed new standard on what it is that is is a considered a, a, a residential project these days. You know the things that come to bear are are, are there's there's just a long list and they're expensive. Um, you know we've when you look at remodeling houses that were built in the 50s and 60s, I mean the amount of work that's required to get them up to this new standard is is extraordinary. It's not you can't just cut a building off and add on to it anymore. You have to upgrade seismically, you have to upgrade the the en- envelope for the energy calculations. You have to you have to do things that are that are way beyond the the performance capacity of these old housing stocks that we're dealing with. So, um, you know, people used to be able to build on sites and, you know, little 
movement of the site wasn't a big deal. Now, nowadays, you know, that's not acceptable. Uh, differential settlement, water intrusion, those are big uh, issues in insurance claims. Um, and the, the things that go into place to insure against that in a constructability, or, or when you're looking at constructability, you know, you're talking about major foundation systems. So would it, would it be fair to say, Josh, that the challenge you're identifying is the complexity of building in today's environment? Yeah, I mean, it's a, just a higher threshold for, for a certain level of quality or performance. Um, and, I, and I suppose that leads to a certain level of complexity, yeah, because, uh, you know, the documentation process is more intense. I mean, what, uh, what, what architects are being asked to do from a documentation standpoint and what they're being held responsible. I mean, if you follow the if you follow what's going on in the courts in terms of uh, what architects are being held liable for, you know, every year we find that we're responsible for something we never knew we were <laughs> before. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, and, and so I think, I suppose that contributes to a certain level of documentation that, well, I better cover myself carefully here. But I also think that just the regulatory environment, and, and, and it's not just, I mean, it's easy just to bash on the regulatory environment that we're in, that we all know we're in. I, I think that people's standards are higher. I think a, the average consumer person coming in um, to build a home has a longer list of wants and needs than ever before. Uh, and the technology input part of that, the comfort level, you know, the, all of it it, 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 it conspires to, you know, we're seeing... I mean, if you if you track it, like for me in the last 20 years, you know, you look at the home prices. We used to look at it in terms of the square footage cost, you know, um, and whatever people thought was normal and standard uh, 20 years ago, it's been completely uh, advanced. I mean, we're looking at per square foot costs that nobody's ever seen, and they're, and they're getting the, the prices are going higher faster than they were before, you know, that, and I think that's because labor is expensive and a lot of these, these buildings take a lot of labor and the materials aren't getting any cheaper either. Um, you know, uh, there's not as many buildable sites anymore in, in Southern California either. So people are taking to the hillsides and doing construction on more complex sites. Um, and then again, going back to remodeling or rehabbing, one of the things we really like to work on or remodel rehabs, or what we call adaptive reuse projects. Um, and some of those work out great. You really can beat the curve and, and get in there and take an old building and give it new purpose and avoid uh, environmental damage and avoid uh, extra costs and, and avoid long time delays for doing a new project. But sometimes it doesn't pan out. Sometimes um, those new the new construction with a little bit more control is, is, is going to get you to point B faster and more efficiently. Or it might get you there with a little bit more certainty. I mean, knowing how much something's going to cost seems to be at a premium right now. Um, so going into a project where you're doing basic explorative surgery on a building uh, can be a little bit hair-raising because you don't know where the beginning and the end of the costs are until you actually get in there. And you're almost always disappointed if you're trying to keep the cost under control because Every time you turn around, you're having to upgrade something that you didn't know you needed to until you get in there. Um, so, yeah, there, but I think that's, it, I don't know if I, you know, it answers the question, Craig, but it's, it's, it's one of the bigger challenges that's got my attention. And it, I think it's a good problem to solve. I don't think it's necessarily a problem like we're having a problem with this. I think it's just the problem to solve in the current marketplace, in the current time we're in. And it's, it's another opportunity, really, to 
look at like how do I create a design solution for that? You know, that that's something we throw around in the studio. Everything's a design solution to us. So how do you design your way out of that? What's what's the problem solving uh, solution that you can come up with? That's right. And how do you design your your way out of that? We have two minutes left. <laughs> Well, I think the way you design your way out of that is you you do a little bit of listening in the beginning, or a lot of listening in the beginning, rather. I think that I, I think our fundamental approach to design is to figure out everything the project isn't and is, and we try and let the project come to life on its own. Um, so it's a process of, you know, sometimes that means you bring other people to the table early, uh, engineers, uh, for sure the owner. Uh, builders and and we we try to find out as much information as we can and we try to look at the site constraints opportunities and constraints the typical term there but really cut away everything that's not that and then see what's left see what the building wants to do see what the the design solution is and and then listen to it let it give it its own life follow it and and try and just maintain authenticity uh, in in the process you know um, being over imposing. Um, maybe, you know, may, may not get it done every time. I, I think it, it goes back to the idea of collaborative leadership, you know, collaborative design, you know, it, those two things, you know, looking for, letting the project have a seat at the table in the collaboration itself is, is kind of, I guess, one way you can look at that, that it's not an ego-driven process, that it's a, it's, a, it's a looking for truth process, and you can include a lot of different people in that. All right. I think you'll find, you'll find a deeper truth if you do. <laughs> Well, Josh Bloomer, thank you for sharing with us uh, your, your experience at AB Design Studio in Santa Barbara. appreciate talking to you about your career and your thoughts about architecture and the business of architecture. We wish you uh, much future and continued success. Yeah, thank you. It's been my pleasure speaking with you, and I appreciate your interest in us. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Josh. Bye-bye. Bye. And that is a wrap. Thank you for listening today. If you're looking for more time, freedom, impact, and income as an architect, get instant access to my free four-part architect profit map by visiting freearchitectgift.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage partner BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. It helps you manage people and projects while you focus on designing great architecture. So whether you're working remotely or on-site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in an accurate and timely manner. Get your fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice by going to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. The views expressed on the show by my guests do not represent those of the host, and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world.